Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. You have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. I'm sorry, Matthew 6. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 19. And we will read that in a short while, but I just kind of want to cover some of, the, some of the themes that we've been covering for the past several weeks. For those of us who have been with us, uh, and for those of you maybe who have not been with us, just a quick little recap of what we've been going over with the Sermon on the Mount. Which, by the way, uh, last week was a great time of fasting, um, and I hope that you were able to join us, and I hope that you were able to push yourself a little bit. And if you weren't, well, don't worry, I'm just preparing you. We're starting small. We'll continue to move into it. We'll fast some more together as a church. But um, I know that it was a blessing for me and my family, and I have no doubt in my mind uh, it was a blessing for you. And for some of you, like I think what Jeffrey said, maybe didn't feel anything, I want you to know that God likes to move in the invisible. And sometimes when you don't feel something is when your faith is tested the most. You don't have to feel something for God to be there. Uh, God is not a limited to a feeling. and if, Otherwise, we wouldn't need faith. And so sometimes some of us need to get over our, our, our thoughts that we need to feel stuff. I want you to know that God does the most work when you're probably not feeling something. God probably conforms you to the image of Christ when you're not hearing him more than when you probably are in a certain, to a certain degree. And so I just want to say, if you weren't feeling anything, it's okay because you're moving in a certain degree of faith. And that's a powerful thing. Jesus says, you know, blessed are you. You were with me, but blessed are those who have never even seen me. Those who haven't even walked with me. And so I just, just in case we're limiting our Christianity to a feeling, and maybe you didn't feel anything, so you feel like you're not Christian, I want you to know that's not necessarily true, that we are built on faith. Amen? Amen. So for the past several weeks, we've covered uh, some major themes throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So if you remember, in week one, we covered a Christian's character, and we talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about the uh, eight Beatitudes that define how a Christian's character should look. We talked about Jesus saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And he talked about blessed are the peacemakers. And last but not least, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. And then as we moved on, we spent another couple of weeks talking about a Christian's influence if you remember, we discussed what it means to be salt and light in the community. What it means to be salt and light as a Christian. Then, of course, we continued on, and some of you will remember you were here. We spent a few more weeks breaking down a Christian's righteousness. Revealing what Jesus has to say and what Jesus thinks about things such as murder and anger, lust, adultery, divorce. We talked about oath-taking. We talked about revenge and, of course, how we are to interact as Christians with our enemies. And finally, most recently, we discussed a Christian's devotion. And we took two weeks, if you remember, to take a look at fasting and praying in the life of a believer. And uh, for many of us, we got to go to a small group a couple of weeks ago and have some corporate prayer. And then um, last week, we were able to fast together as a family. So 
I want you to know we've accomplished a lot in the last couple of weeks. I'm really proud of uh, where we're going and what God is doing. And shameless plug, if you've missed any of those weeks, like Jeffrey said, we do have a podcast and we um, do have an app. And you can go also to our website if you've missed any of the weeks. So if you just want to review, um, you can definitely go back to that. Now, before we get into this morning's theme, or actually, before we get into this morning's scripture, I want to share this morning's theme. This morning's theme is a Christian's ambition. And for the next two weeks, we'll discuss a Christian's ambition. Now, ambition is defined as this, a strong desire to do or achieve something, especially when it comes to success. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's start with Matthew 6. And we are going to read 19 through 24, verse 19 through 24 together. Jesus speaking, he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Then Jesus continues, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, I'm sorry, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And then Jesus makes a statement, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the essence of the upside down kingdom is an appeal to God's people to lead lives that are different. To lead lives that are unique. To lead lives that are even upside down when compared to our contemporary culture. So if you look different, don't feel bad about that. You're supposed to be different. That is the essence of the upside-down kingdom, and that is the major essence of the Sermon on the Mounts. Now, since we've been in this series, we've heard Jesus challenge us. In fact, he's challenged us quite a bit. He's challenged us in our everyday lives. He's even challenged us churchy people. He said, don't be too churchy when you're in church. In other words, don't give in to this hypocritical religiosity. In fact, Jesus was so familiar with that because that was the norm of the day with some of the leaders during his time. Jesus called out their tendency to wear masks and to play and act when it came to worship because they were more concerned about receiving personal glory than giving glory to God. Now this morning, Jesus steps out of the church culture, and he challenges the materialistic culture of our world. It's like, Jesus, why do you got to keep going there? But this is important. Jesus challenges a value system that defines success based upon the accumulation of stuff rather than the submission to the will of God. Let me say that again. Jesus challenges a system That defines success based on an accumulation of stuff rather than a submission to God's will. It's this value system that Jesus calls you and I to renounce. Showing us God's wisdom regarding this area by comparing two different things. He compares two treasures 
He compares two visions, and then he compares at the end of the section of scripture that we read, two masters. Now, before we dive into the text, I do want to take a moment to explain something important that Jesus is pointing out in the life of a believer. When it comes to the life of a believer, there should be no difference between our private and public lives. We must be careful that we don't fall into the trap of categorizing what we call our sacred lives and our secular lives. We can't separate the two. As followers of Jesus, everything we do is sacred. Are you with me? Everything we do is sacred. Fasting and praying and giving aren't the only sacred things we do. Part of the challenge in today's American church culture is that we have too many people that are compartmentalizing their devotion to Jesus and even limiting it to, limiting to, to a Sunday morning. Listen to the words of Paul in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do. In other words, as a Christian, even our working and our playing become sacred acts of worship and beautiful opportunities to give God glory. Now listen, God is equally concerned about all areas and spheres of our lives, including our private and public lives, our religious and our secular life. This is why his words transcend religious activity And they seek to guide and govern everything in our lives, including the practical daily parts of our lives. So Jesus starts off by making a comparison between two treasures in the scripture. Jesus says this, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, when it comes to these two type of treasures, the difference between them both is durability. Let me say that again. When it comes to earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, the difference between the two of them in this section is durability. You see, earthly treasures are corruptible. Earthly treasures are insecure, while heavenly treasures are incorruptible and completely secure. You can't count on earthly treasures, but you can count on heavenly treasures. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. If you're going to store up valuables, why not concentrate on collecting and storing up those valuables that you know are guaranteed to last? Why not focus on those treasures that can be stored up in a place guaranteed not to deteriorate, guaranteed not to depreciate? If you're going to store up values, why not focus On those values that are incorruptible. Now hear me out. I have no doubt. Up to this point. That everyone in this room generally agrees in the theory. But valuing something and agreeing with something are two different things. You see when I agree I nod my head. I might even say yes that's good. I might even say amen and affirm the text. But listen to this. When I value, when I value something, I actually conform and align my lifestyle to the Bible. 
You see, when I agree, I nod my head. But when I value, my behavior and my lifestyle is conformed to the word. In other words, my behaviors, my choices begin to reflect what the word of God is saying. See, there's a lot of us in here, we agree, but we're still working on the value part. See, just because you agree with something does not mean that you value it. I want to encourage Inspired Church this morning that we need to become a community of believers that just doesn't come to church to agree with Jesus, but that we would leave the services and go into our small groups and leave our smaller groups living lifestyles that don't just agree with his words, but we value his words. Oh, we've been fasting. I could, I've been fasting. So here's the million-dollar question. And I probably just lost my blessing because I wasn't supposed to say nothing, but we all doing it together, so we're good. So here's the million-dollar question. What was Jesus prohibiting when he told us not to lay up our treasures on earth? Now, there's three points I'd like to make before answering. Number one, I want you guys to know this because I'm going to go heavy. But before I go heavy, i got to go light. Jesus is not denying our right to have personal possessions. So I'm not going to tell you to sell everything and let's move somewhere. Promise. Nowhere in scripture will we find God forbidding the ownership of private property. You with me? Here, I, I need you to hear these three out because I'm going to go heavy in a minute. Number two, Jesus is not denying our ability to save. In fact, scripture praises the ant. <laughs> Because in the summer, the ant stores up food that it'll need in the winter. We if we dig deeper, you'll even see scripture harshly condemning those who don't provide for their families. Did you know that? If you go into the New Testament, you'll see the words of Paul condemning husbands who do not take care of their families and calling them worse than unbelievers. So when it comes to buying a car, amen. Owning a home, taking out a life insurance policy, planning for retirement. I want you to know those are all good things. Are you with me? God does not restrict those things. In fact, this is my third point of lightness. <laughs> Did you know that our creator takes pleasure in seeing us interact with his creation? Did you know that? Our creator takes pleasure in watching us interact what he's created for us. You notice how man was not created on the first day? He wasn't created on the second or third or fourth. Man was created on the sixth day, the last day. And that's because everything was created to prepare an environment so that man, do you understand? See, if man was placed on day two or day three, he was placed on day one. See, there wouldn't have been water, there wouldn't have been land, there wouldn't have been light. And so all these things man wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have been able to survive. But God places man at the end so that we could understand that God created all of this so that you and I you understand he created all of this for you and I so our creator takes pleasure when we interact with his creation God delights in our vacation time come on he delights in our rest some of us we need to learn to rest more some of you need to learn to work more okay so I'm very careful because I say that and we give somebody a license right this goes both ways right at this church, we like to serve and Sabbath, okay? We like to do them both, but we don't like to do one without the other. Do you understand? That's a healthy, there should be a healthy two. 
So he delights in our vacation. He delights in our rest. He delights in seeing us enjoy what he created for us. Now watch. What Jesus is warning us against is the selfish accumulation of goods. The kind of extravagant and luxurious way of living that produces an unhealthy and dysfunctional allegiance inside of us. You with me? This kind of materialistic lifestyle causes hard-heartedness and distancing from the needs of the underprivileged. There are three dysfunctions that I want to highlight today. When you have an unhealthy desire for material things... Here's how we can know. Well, number one is when we have an unhealthy desire for material things, the first thing that begins to happen is we'll notice that we have a hard-heartedness and we distance ourselves from the needs of the underprivileged. This kind of materialistic lifestyle also causes us, here's a second thing now. So number one is when you are unhealthily attached to material thing, materialistic things, you begin to develop a hard-heartedness and a distancing from the underprivileged. Number two is, this also begins to happen, you begin to define yourself based on your stuff. In fact, you gain value based on your stuff. That's the second dysfunction. And finally, the third dysfunction of materialism, and this is a warning, unhealthy desire for materialistic things tethers our hearts to the world. Tethers our hearts to the world. And I'll explain that. So let's go ahead and explain these three symptoms just a little bit more. First, we develop a hard-heartedness and distancing from the underprivileged. What do I mean by that? Greed makes us stingy. Greedy people are stingy people. Can I get an amen? It even causes us, hear me, greed causes us to turn our noses up and look down on those who have less. The result is evident because the one who falls prey to this kind of attitude distance themselves from the real needs of the people. And will even surround themselves with others who are just as stingy, just as greedy, and just as distant. We even develop social clubs around this kind of dysfunction. This is not what Christ had in mind. We make friends with greedy people and we despise needy people. That's a problem. Number two. When we are dysfunctionally attached to materialistic things, life's meaning and value are derived from those things. You see, when earth's treasures grip our hearts more than heaven's treasures, they literally begin to define who we are and how valuable we think we are. By doing this, we lose sight of our true self as image bearers of God and overspending and overindulging become our new emblems of worth and value. So we shop, we travel, we spend, and we splurge thinking two things. Number one, that people will somehow value us more because we do these things. And secondly, we think that the more we get, the more we attain, that the better we will feel about 
ourselves. Are you with me? Now here's a warning. I want you to remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, the Bible says that when they sinned, they hid themselves. They ran and they hid. And the Bible tells us that they covered themselves with fig leaves. And you want to know why they covered themselves with fig leaves? They covered themselves out of shame. And you know why shame is such a powerful, harmful agent in our lives? Because it plays at our fear of rejection. Are you with me? Shame plays at our fear of rejection. I want you to know, though, but God sees right through our coverings. And the best path to healing is standing naked before the Lord. See, some of us, we haven't healed for a very long time because we keep running away from the light. We cut off our mentors. We cut off our pastors. We cut off our counselors. We cut off all those people because the minute the Lord says, hey, I'm ready to shine light on something, we run from that. Why? Because we want to do what Adam and Eve, we want to hide and we want to cover ourselves up because we don't want to be exposed. Are you guys with me? In fact, you know, in scripture, when you're judged, you know, we said don't judge me. Well, in scripture, judgment just means the light has been turned on. That's judgment. So judgment in scripture, when we are making a judgment, what, what's really happened is a light is being turned on and the hidden parts are being exposed. Now, some of you feel like running away helps you. But in the reality, it doesn't because it continues to keep the things that are hurting and harming you inside. And so somehow your flesh and the enemy has convinced you that it's better to hide than go into the light. But I'm going to tell you something. It's impossible to heal without the light of Jesus shined on it. A good equation is this light plus love equals healing. So it's not just light because sometimes it's all light and you just get beat up. This isn't about that, but this is light plus love equals healing, and that's, that's what Jesus is. Are you with me? And so this idea of Adam and Eve covering themselves, feeling in shame, and they're hiding from God, but yet God knows exactly where, are, where they are. I heard somebody once say this, and I'm sure many of us have heard this. We buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't like. <laughs> we buy things we can't afford to impress people that we don't even like. We got aunties and uncle. I need to do this. We better come to this. We better, right? Some of us are, I don't want to go here because some people think I'm going to talk about them. I'm not. But I'm just saying whether it's preparing for planning for big events, life events. Even some of us are going through weddings. Amen. We're trying to impress everybody else but ourselves. Yeah. Number three. Materialism tethers us to the world. We can get so caught up in the accumulation of earthly wealth that an unhealthy attachment and desire for the world begins to grab hold of our hearts. The tragedy behind this kind of attachment is that it causes us to desire things more than we desire growth in Christ. It causes us to desire things more than we desire Jesus. It causes us to desire things more than we desire our call. 
This symptom produces what we call carnal-minded people, worldly living individuals whose tendency is to love and invest more in the things of this world than to love and invest in the things of God. This is why Jesus makes this final statement. He says, where your heart is also is your treasure. Here's an interesting observation. Only God can know a man's heart. But, there's a but in there. We too can see evidence of where your heart is by observing what you treasure. Your treasure gives your heart away. You see, the visible reveals the invisible. Now, Jesus makes a warning. He said, earthly treasures, earthly treasures, and the Greek word that, for, for the Greek word that he uses, earthly treasures, brosis. The Greek word means this, it, earthly treasures eat. They eat away. Now, what Jesus was referring to was the corrosion that rust can cause, but not just rust, the corrosion, the eating away that vermin cause, right? Animals, moth, right? They eat away at our clothes. So Jesus was saying that earthly treasures get eaten away. And it's interesting to me because not only can the moth and the rat eat away at earthly treasures, but if we allow them, earthly treasures can eat away at the image of God inside of us. Remember, even if moth, rust, or thief don't go, I'm sorry, even if moth, rust, or thief don't get to your earthly treasure, when you die, you won't be able to take those things with you anyway. Isn't it crazy? You're spending your whole life to accumulate things that you can't take into eternity. You're working your whole life to accumulate things that you can't even take with you when you die. The pharaohs tried it, right? They build these big pyramids and they all their gold and everything is buried with them. But you can't take it with you to eternity. Isn't that crazy? Now finally here... Here's what heavenly treasures look like. You ready? I'm going to just go, I'm just going to name them off real simple. Number one, developing Christ-like character. That's a heavenly treasure. Developing Christ-like character. That's a heavenly treasure. How about this? Increasing in faith, hope, and love. That's a heavenly treasure. How about this? Growing in God's word. That's a heavenly treasure. Knowing the, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing who Jesus is, that's a heavenly treasure. How about this? Introducing others to Jesus. That's a heavenly treasure. Because when you introduce someone to Jesus, you introduce them into eternity. Shall I go there? How about the use of your money? Now, I said this from the very beginning. Inspired Church is not afraid to talk about money. Why do we believe that Jesus disciples every aspect of our lives but not our wallets? You can disciple me everywhere, but just don't disciple my checking account, my banking account, and my wallet. Well, where your treasure is, there's your heart. We use our money to further the building of the kingdom, to proclaim the gospel, to establish the church. We need to start giving permission to the Holy Spirit to disciple that area of our lives, too. Are you with me? You know, we're going to the Philippines. We meet in the Crown Plaza every week. 
you know, one of our heart's desires is to rent out that room right next door to be able to have the children in the bigger room. You know, that doesn't happen magically. That's because the people of God allow their wallets to be discipled. Believe it or not, me and Jamila are not running off with your money and doing crazy things. If you want, I'll invite you to my little apartment so you can see. You know, it's, it's crazy because for a long time, pastors were judged and they couldn't talk about it. And for a long time, pastors were afraid to get new cars. They're afraid to buy houses because the, the, the church is going to totally judge them. Right? And so for a long time in ministry back in the day, and I know this because I've grown up and I've seen pastors. I know what happens is the pastors get the worst stuff. Now, I'm not here advocating I need a mansion or anything else. That's not what I'm here. But I'm here what I'm saying is this is what we do with the church's money. We make sure that the gospel of the kingdom of God is proclaimed in Union City and this area. This is what we do. And if you have a problem with giving, you have a problem with God. So maybe next week you can meet that. I'm just kidding. But imagine having our children in a bigger room. Right? They sh we, sh we, should, we should love our children enough to make sure that they're getting something more. Yeah? Amen? I mean, everyone agrees with children. That's why I brought it up. I didn't bring me a... So when you say children, it's like, yeah, that's true. That's good. That's good, Phil. That's good. <laughs> why are these investments far greater and far beneficial than the Earth's investments? Well, it's just real simple because these are the only investments that don't depreciate. They don't deteriorate. And these are the only investments that will pay dividends in eternity. Now, we go from two treasures to two visions. I don't know if when I was reading the scripture, I don't know if you saw it, it was an odd jump. He was talking about treasures, then he talked about your eye and the lamp or your body. It was kind of, how did that all fit in? Well, after comparing treasures, Jesus switches gears to make a comparison between healthy eyes and unhealthy eyes. Now, when I was kind of reading this and just looking over it, I immediately thought of, I was immediately reminded of a condition of being short-sighted. Now, I'm not going to pick on anybody here who's short-sighted, but I just began to think of that. So I just wanted to look it up and just kind of find some general direction of what that means. Let me tell you what short-sighted is defined as. Someone who is unable to see very far. <laughs> they lack the ability to see in the distance or to see too far ahead. And I thought to myself, why do we have so many Christians that are short-sighted in our churches today? If there is anybody that should have long vision, it should be a Christian. If there is anybody that should see beyond, it should be a Christian. Short-sightedness spiritually should not be a Christian issue. In fact, I call it spiritual myopia. Somebody who lives, spends, and indulges for this world at the expense of eternity. They reason within themselves, heaven is far away. It's too distant. So I'll live for the here and now because I can't see heaven. They reason within themselves, it's too far away. It's too distant. And so I'll live for the here and now. Jesus calls this way of thinking blindness and unhealthy eyes leading the body into darkness. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, almost everybody depends on your eyes. Now, I know there are some 
people that have bad eyes and even blind that have learned to overcome that. But I just want to say this. As a general rule of thumb, the eyes illuminate for the body what the hands and feet are trying to accomplish. The point here is this. A person who can see walks in the light. A person who cannot see walks in the darkness. Now, metaphorically speaking in Scripture, the eye and the heart are equivalent. So let me give you an example. In Psalms 119, hear me out. Psalms 119 verse 10, it says this. With my whole heart... I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Now watch what verse 11 says. I have fixed my eyes on all of your commandments. You see how the heart and the eye are kind of interchangeable. He says, with my whole heart I seek you, and with my eyes I seek you. And so the heart and the eye, are you with me? Now like the Psalms, Jesus is using the eye in replacement of the heart here in Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 6, 21 and 22. Listen, where we place our heart or what we fix our eyes on will affect our entire body. Likewise, wherever our ambition is, so will be our life's motivation. Let's say that again. Wherever our ambition is, so will be our life's motivation and direction, and it will be visible. I want to conclude this morning with the last comparisons that Jesus has made. I'm going to ask that the team could get ready. I'm going to come down here because maybe we'll raise money for another sta- bigger stage, too. You don't need a stage. Good time to collect an offering, amen? So Jesus makes these interesting comparisons between two treasures, two visions, And lastly, we'll end this morning with two masters. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one to despise the other. And then he makes a curious statement, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now he gets to the point by asking us this morning, Who do you serve? Who will you serve? Mammon is an Aramaic transliteration for the word wealth. So when you see Jesus saying you can't serve two masters, God and mammon, what he's really saying is you can't serve me and wealth at the same time. Essentially what Jesus is saying is money or me. Possessions or me? The creator or creation? Now here's what I want you to notice. Jesus uses two interesting words. He uses the word serve and he uses the word master. Those that try and do both misunderstand the big picture. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve wealth, and you can't serve me. So I said, well, can I do both? But those that have tried to fudge the lines, tried to compromise, those that try to do both, Jesus makes sure that you understand that if you're trying to do both, 
you're missing the language that I'm using. You see, I use the word, Jesus is saying, I use the word serve and I use the word master. Why is serve and master so important? This is why. One pastor comments and he says this, men can work for two employers. Amen. Sometimes we got to get a couple of jobs. Some of us got three employers. And then we go home and our wives employ us. Can I get an amen? Not mine, though. Amen. Okay. She's working with the kids. Praise the Lord. Mark, can you edit that, please, out there? But hear the quote. Men and women, you guys can work for two employers, but no slave can be the property of two owners. For single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. When Jesus says you can't serve two masters, he's talking about slavery. He says you're either going to be enslaved to me or you're going to be enslaved to wealth. But you can't do both. When it comes to being a follower of Christ, we should see more clearly the intrinsic worth of God, while at the same time, see more clearly the worthlessness of worth. You with me? I'm done, so don't let me lose you on this final stuff right here. Usually you could ignore 28% of the message, but this is important. It's ironic to me that we are declaring something to be more valuable than value. We are declaring something to be more wealthy than wealth. More rich than riches. It's ironic to me how I am doing my best this morning to preach to myself and to my congregation that we are letting you know that there is something worth more than worth itself. There is something worth more than money itself. It's more valuable than value. And it's Jesus and it's to call over your life. To walk away from the materialism of this world and to step into serving God and laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. In heaven. There are going to be some broke people on earth that are going to be wealthy in heaven. And some wealthy people in earth that are going to be very broke in hell. And we spend, and I'm, we spend so much time stressing, toiling, working, and trying to figure out the here and now without factoring in eternity. Because at the end of the day, your life is a twinkling of an eye, dust and vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And when you stand before Jesus in eternity, the question is going to be, where did you lay your treasure up? What did you work hard for? If the answer is for earth, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. Let's bow our heads.
Um, but we gathered my family together and we gathered some close friends together and we prayed and we asked the Lord, we double asked, we double checked <laughs> if this is what he wanted. We knew that if we were going to do this, so we had a baby who was barely maybe six months old at the time and we just got married and we had plans and desires for our hearts and, you know, we want to see nice places and we want to, we want to do all the things that that, you know, we want to, we just, there are things that we want to accomplish. We want retirement. We want to buy a home. Um, but you know what? The more we begin to pray, uh, the more God began to call us, um, those things begin to fade a little bit. And, um, of course, we gathered and we, we had wise counsel. We don't want to make any decisions. Some of us, God has called us in different places. So not everyone here has got to do what we did. I just want to share you, uh, share with you my story. And, um, and it was difficult, and uh, we planted, and uh, we stepped out. We had a great team that supported us, and they were willing to pay from the beginning. What can we do? And we were kind of just trying to be wise and do what God had asked us, and we were putting some things off. And, um, and so finally, um, I remember my wife uh, went, and we got to this point where we needed to get we needed to work, and so I did a little bit of work, and I also worked on planting the church, and my wife went back to work despite wanting to be with our son and uh, she went back to work and uh, she was uh, working at a startup company in San Francisco and she was going back and forth nonstop. Um, and uh, during that time it took a toll on our family it took a toll even on our relationship many of you know when you're working so hard and you're, you're you come home and you're tired and you're both working and struggling and you barely have enough time for yourself and you're giving it all out to your kids and uh, during that time, it, it was difficult for us, and, um, but we needed the money. And we prayed, and um, throughout it all, I felt like the Lord um, spoke to me and my wife. And I said, you know what, babe, you're not going to go back to uh, working that way. You're just, you're not going to go. It's not worth it. Um, it's not worth my family. It's not worth my ministry. And we got to figure something else out. We can do it. But um, I am not going to allow earthly wealth or just the need to feel secure in that I'm not going to allow it to dictate my marriage or my ministry it's important don't get me wrong because we're to take care of our family but I, I I just was not going to allow it and so against kind of just between my wife and I we prayed and said you know what you're not going to go back into working that way it's just not going to happen and um, I just want to let you know that the anxious, doubt, worry, anxiety that money brings is real, and I get it. But I want you to know our God is bigger. Our God is greater. And um, I am, I every Sunday morning when I'm here and I get to worship with you and I get to see what God is doing at our small groups and I get to see what God does on Sundays here and just what God is going to do through this church in the city, through this church in the region, 
And we're going to, as we plant more churches and just do amazing things, I just keep telling the Lord, thank you. It's worth it. And that, you know, the bank account, the treasures might not be stored up to where I like it in the bank account. Um, but at the same time, um, the treasures that we're storing up in heaven is far more important. And the, the seed that I'm sowing into my son is far more important. And the home of love and peace is far more important than trying to make an extra dime. I'm not advocating that we'd become poor. I think there's some amazing people in here. God's calling you to business. God's calling you in different places. And you might make a lot of money, and there's nothing wrong with that. You, God may use you to give to the kingdom. But here's what I'm essentially saying. There is an unhealthy stress, concern, or an, an unhealthy attraction to materialism. And we need to be a mature people and, and understand what those two are and be able to run this checklist in your own life. And if you don't know, ask some people around you because chances are they know. And so, again, I'm going to pray us out in a second. But I just wanted to share our testimony. We're going to sing this one more time. And if you're going through something, if there's extra anxiety in this time, and it, um, if there's maybe the Lord just spoke to you any aspect of this, of this message, Let's just dwell on it just a little while longer as we worship. And then I'm going to say a prayer and we're going to bless us out for the rest of the day. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspiredchurches.com.